0: We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our
1: own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations
0: about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something
1: meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast.
0: In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur.
1: We also believe that what you focus on grows, so pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers?
0: We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours
1: that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month.
0: And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshi.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Angie spoke podcast. Today's guest is Kara Golden. She is the founder and CEO of hint Inc best known for its award winning hint water and the leading unsweetened flavored water. And she is the author of a fabulous new book called undaunted. Kara has successfully navigated the world of large companies and startups in many industries, including media, tech and consumer products. It's not often on this podcast that we speak with entrepreneurs who run non-digital businesses, but we did so today when we spoke with Kara. As someone who has run a retail store with inventory, the last business I personally would want to start is one where shipping and logistics and physical products are involved. So I asked her why she chose to start Hint Water, and I think her answer will surprise you. Kara is an active speaker, writer, and hosts her own podcast called The Kara Golden Show, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industries. Enjoy our conversation with Kara Golden.
1: All right. Well, welcome, Kara, to the show. We are thrilled to have you.
2: Thank you. Very excited to be here. Kara, are you drinking Hint water? Of course. It's <laughs> very easy to do it. So it's, a, it's a, an advantage, a, a work advantage.
0: Okay. I just plenty of it here. That was not planned. You just actually took a sip of Hint water as Jenny was introducing you. So let's just start there. Tell us about your company.
2: Yeah, so I started the company just over 15 years ago now. I was... Uh, I didn't have any beverage experience. I was in tech and I had taken a couple of years off in between my tech and my entrepreneurial journey in beverages. And I have four kids now, but I had three kids at the time. And that was the primary reason I wanted to just take some time off and not be on an airplane where all the United Airlines pilots knew my name, which was just not, it was not a good situation. And... So while I was going through that process, I really was not as healthy, I realized, as I wanted to be. Kind of a common thing, I think, for people when they're sort of in between jobs or roles. And that's when I started really reading ingredients and trying to figure out why I had developed terrible adult acne and my energy levels were low and I had also gained a bunch of weight over the course of many years but in particular when I had kids I would gain weight and then I couldn't lose the weight and then finally I thought I'm going to go do it now I'm going to work out I'm going to you know make this all happen and it wasn't working and I was getting really frustrated looking at all these ingredients in my food but I was never really looking at the water that I was drinking, because I wasn't drinking water, I was drinking diet soda. And that's when I gave up Diet Coke in particular, and was just super shocked at what I saw, because I always thought diet soda was actually healthy, that there was this whole concept. Yeah, like low calories. At the time, it was 10 calories, they hadn't achieved zero calories yet in drinks. But I thought, You know, diet is just better for me. And, you know, that's what I was told when I was a teenager. And, you know, all the marketing since then is really, you know, if you drink and eat diet and low fat, and then came other items like vitamin water, that was never my thing. But there's all these healthy perception things versus healthy reality. And when I actually experienced it for myself by just, actually forcing myself to drink water, that's when I saw just like the significant shift that I made in my own life. And then I started slicing up fruit just to get myself to drink water. And I was kind of shocked that this product wasn't on the market, but I had no idea who should do it or anything. And that's when I um, i just thought of it I mean, today, they didn't call it this back then, but it was like a side hustle for me. I thought, I'm not doing anything anyway. I mean, I've got three young kids, so I'm being a mom, but I thought, gosh, it'd be really fun to get a product on the shelf at Whole Foods. And Yeah, I don't think that. Like, This is what the question
0: I have for you is like, I owned a retail, like a shoe store. I owned the New Balance Calgary. So I worked with New Balance and brought in like, you know physical products are hard and the logistics and the oh my god and so my mind would be like no product like what were you thinking that you're like like how do you go from like i think this should be on the shelves to actually figuring out how to build that business
2: yeah you know it's funny because I think where my head was with this was actually not about creating a beverage company. It was really about changing health. And I felt sorry for the consumer because I just stumbled upon a way to actually change my health that I didn't realize prior to trying. And I was thinking for a year about how So many people are spending money on these like healthy perception products, on diets, all of these things that are just really, you know, they're just maybe false, maybe hard, maybe really expensive. And I think for me, I thought that the actual physical product was the vehicle, right? Like that was just to the bigger goal. So even today, when people say, what's it like running a beverage company? I mean, for me, it's about how many lives have I actually enabled to get healthy. And I mean, a longer story, but I think from day one, we had an email on the bottle and still have an email on the bottle and consumers were reaching out to us after trying it at Our local Whole Foods. And, you know, they didn't know me. They were, you know, visiting from another state and picking up the bottle. And they're like, this is exactly what I was looking for. I never liked water. And it was just like me. And then that expanded into, gosh, you're helping me control my type 2 diabetes. You're helping me drink more water. You're helping me get through chemotherapy treatments that. Force me to taste metallic stuff in my mouth. Like, I thought, wow, just like through the right tasting product, we can actually change that and really help people. So, that was really for me, I don't know, maybe different than like. Any other category or any you know any product out there? I think for me it was really about the service of health and like how can you actually help people? It's interesting. My husband joined me early on when I had this idea and I was just so energized by it. And I had sort of decided to put my tech, you know, experience and aspirations to go and interview. I had sort of put them on hold while I was really working on this idea. And you know, he didn't think it was like such a smart idea. I knew I was pretty marketable in the tech industry. And so he was like, wait, you're going to start a beverage company. You have, you know, three kids under four. And I'm like, well, I'm actually pregnant with them, or four. So I'm going to have four and I'm starting this company. And he, you know, didn't think it was that great of an idea, but it was funny because when I took him with me to the bottling plant, when we finally were doing the first round and I wanted to take him because I was pregnant, and I thought if I get morning sick, at least you can sort of fill in for me and, and hold on to me. And I remember him saying to me, he was the son of a doctor, and he would hear his dad coming home for years saying, it's so frustrating, it's a gastroenterologist, and it's like, it's so frustrating, I tell people what to do, and I never really know if they do it. And he said, what you're doing is you're actually saying, just go drink this. And they'll end up eliminating things because it will start to give them hope. And he's like, it's really fascinating. Like you're not prescribing, you know, we don't make health claims. We're just allowing people to just really enjoy water. And when people say to me, I I love the taste of water. Why should I drink your product? I'm like, you probably shouldn't. I mean that's not who we're after right we're after people because obviously these are big businesses like the diet soda industry and the you know enhanced water industry led by vitamin water i mean they're huge businesses that are tricking consumers into believing that they're healthier than they are so so i love that you were fueled by this why
0: of helping and changing people's health in the way that they thought about their beverage. But at some point you must've just gone, Oh my God, what have I done? Like, when did that whole, like I've created this thing and we know you just wrote a book. So we want to talk about that in a second, but like, when did that doubt come like, or that, like, what was the mindset that you had to like really start to adopt this? Like I am now an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah. I think I had a lot of courage in the beginning thinking like, okay, I can just, I'll just go get a product on the shelf at Whole Foods. How hard can it be? And then it's super easy, right? And then suddenly, you know, you start telling people what you're doing, or you start asking a lot of questions. And then you realize, wow, there's a lot of products, right? Like around the store, and it all starts to sink in a little bit. And so the title of the book is Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And something that I felt is that you're, I think that the best entrepreneurs And maybe even the best people who want to be entrepreneurs or sort of, you know, think maybe I should go start a company. They have these doubts that maybe they're, they should go do it for like a minute. And then they run into people along the way who say, well, that's going to be hard or whatever. And so this wall just continues to get built up and then they either figure out how to get around the wall. They don't listen or they just stop. Right. And. But there's this misconception that successful entrepreneurs never had doubts, never had doubters, never had fears or failures along the way. And when I've been out public speaking over the last few years about how I built my company, being a female entrepreneur, et cetera, I would run into these people who you know, had this idea about me, now the largest non-alcoholic beverage in The US that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper, Snapple, they would say, like, oh, I have kids at home. I can't. I'm like, I had four. Like, I mean, it's possible. Did I go slower? Probably. Like, I took my time to do it. Like, anything's possible if you really want to go do it. So, again, I think that just by really sharing my stories and figuring out other ways to actually get over these doubts, because I, Like I said, the doubts are one thing, but then the doubters are even worse and they'll always be there. They're still there today. I mean, and for me, and I think it's just, you just have to focus on how do you ultimately move forward? And something I mentioned earlier on the customer, it's great when you actually have customers because like the doubt is really hard until you have those customers. And obviously you've done retail, like you know, like, I mean, once that actually happens, then you can go back to those customers. I don't know that I could ever do a company that didn't have customers. That was just, I don't know what that is in a business. If it's just a, it's a B2B where you just didn't have contact with the customer, I think I would go crazy because anytime I've had doubts, that just really being able to go back to the consumers is really where I've gained strength and energy. So I just
1: wanted to ask, the way you speak about the vision for your company is really in line with what we do also, which is we see our business as a vehicle for social change. And I think this is a really common phenomenon for female founders in particular. And I just wonder, have you noticed that that phenomenon has evolved over the last 15 years in your own entrepreneurial journey? Or what role do you see kind of social change playing in business in 2020?
2: Yeah, I think it's continued to expand. I mean, look, I think the more information we have about things, I think that that is always integrated into our life, right, and our business. And so I believe that, look, I didn't start this company to really want to lift people up right lift women female entrepreneurs up on my shoulders but obviously i feel the need to do that right and people are like have you always wanted to do that and i'm i'm like i don't know like i guess so but i think when i felt like i was in a position where i actually could right or i'm working on a huge initiative right now in washington around clean water and when I showed up in Washington about 18 months ago and ended up meeting with a Congresswoman, Congresswoman Jackie Speier from the Bay area. She's like, how do you know about water? And I said, I do water. Like this is what I do all day long. I look at quality reports. I've got eight plants across the country. They're all different starting with, you know, the raw part of it, but then, you know, how we end up processing the water in each of these plants. And I've just learned a lot that if we don't actually process that product, I think what exactly will end up happening to consumers that end up getting that water? I mean, it's just crazy. And so I went to Jackie and I just said, how do we ultimately get the EPA to pay more attention to like PFAS? I mean, that to me is just another example of social change, right? Like the fact that I think in 2021, there's going to be, it's going to be a really, really tough time for nonprofits, for example, to kind of do some of the work that maybe they've done in the past because they just don't have the funding, right? They've laid off tons of people. So I feel like that's just another example of, you know, social change and leadership kind of stepping up and saying, like, if you see something, then ultimately change it. So I think that that's a huge initiative, but I really think it comes with, I don't know, I I think it comes with time and with more information and also just thinking in a way that I definitely think like, what else can we be doing is really, really important. So I want to get to your
0: book because I, first of all, love the title. How long, I just like, tell me, why did you need to write this?
2: Yeah. So I you know, call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I also call myself an accidental author because I didn't know I was writing a book. It was never on a bucket list. And basically, four years ago, I started journaling and on all my travels, on all my flights. And through that process, about a year and a half ago, I started to feel like there were a lot of nuggets in my notes, in my journal, some of them stories I would share when I was speaking. But I felt like I could actually help a lot more people if I got a book out there. And I wasn't even calling it a book. I was saying, maybe I should just bind this and just give it to people. And like, then it'll, you know, really be helpful to people. And I'd start to write even, I write a lot on lots of different publications, but also mostly on LinkedIn. And people were like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And so I thought if I can put this together, and I guess it's called like publish it, like I had no idea what I was doing. And I knew a couple of authors and one in particular connected me with an agent. And then I still remember she was laughing at me after we got it into sort of a format. Because again, I didn't do it the traditional way of putting an outline together. And I had 600 pages in a journal that I was saying, okay, I got to cut it down and with different stories. And so I had said to her, can we just set up like a day in New York and just talked to a couple of publishers and she said, oh, you have to have it in a certain way. And so I said, well, I don't know. Entrepreneurs, we never do anything like the traditional way. We don't know what the rules are. We just... So she finally went along with me and Harper Leadership totally got my book and they published it. And it was always... Going to be published in October of this past year. Nobody knew that it was a going to be a pandemic. Obviously, that it happened in, but it was always uh, stayed on time. And I mean, honestly, I, I would have written the book sooner if I would have known what the response would have been. Because I was really correct. What I felt a year and a half ago that people are just hearing stories, or just by hearing other people's stories, I really believe you get. Joy You get energy just by really like positioning that story into your own life, which I think is so important so i don 't know if you 're familiar with ypo young president 's organization, but it 's interesting I joined YPO about ten years ago, and I was just sharing this story with an entrepreneur this morning that I learned you not only join, but then you have forums. So you get together with other leaders in your community and typically like five or six people. And you're actually taught that you cannot in this small group Solve somebody's problems. You can't actually say one, two, three, this is what you should go do. If somebody says, Oh, I can't seem to raise money for my business, you can't say, Oh, go talk to Joe over at Silicon Valley Bank or whatever. You have to actually say, I remember this situation, and you do it through storytelling. And the reason is that if you're giving advice to somebody and let's say the person decides not to take the advice, you're then next month sitting across the table from them thinking, I just wasted my breath on, right? I'm giving you all this advice and you never took it and things don't seem like they're all that much better. So you start to ruin relationships by giving advice. And I think just through that sort of training over the last 10 years too, that telling stories when something would kind of trigger a way that I got through something really challenging is really how I feel is ultimately the best way that I've really learned and really been able to solve my own issues. And who is the book written for? Is it Entrepreneurs? So initially, I thought it would be really helpful to not just entrepreneurs, but maybe college students that thought like, maybe I want to go be an entrepreneur. I also kind of wanted to set the record straight around, you know, the sexiness of being an entrepreneur that I've shared with many people that it's hard work, right? It's not, it's, you can make typically way more money, especially initially than being an entrepreneur. So you got to really, first you have to have an idea, but you also have to be able to do a lot of things like build a team and really know that it's not a straight line or a, you know, it's a windy road, however you want to view it. And I think that anyone can benefit from that, right? You can have investors. It's now been picked up by Wharton and I believe it's going to be used in a class, uh, UC Berkeley, as well as Yale. And so there's a lot of people who are looking at it right now to as, gosh, is this what entrepreneurs are? Are we actually training them properly to kind... I think that the key thing in most entrepreneurs that I've met have been, they're all creative. They love solving problems. And we just don't really teach that, right? We teach instead in most of our universities, this idea that you do good here and then you become a manager and then maybe you become the CEO of a company. Maybe you go public. And it's just, for me, like that path, I tried it and I got super far. And I was not really all that excited about managing 200 people and telling them yes or no. And I frankly, I think that there's a lot of people in that situation too, who are trying to figure out what they can do, but they feel like they're too old, or they don't have any experience in an industry. I mean, I started this company when I was in my mid 30s. And so I always share with people too, it wasn't popular going, especially in Silicon Valley, moving from tech to beverage, like people were like, you know, did you lose your mind? What are you doing? And, but there's so many similarities in how we set up beverage where even as a recruiting benefit, we've been able to recruit a lot of people from tech who just were in tech because it was kind of the thing to do. And they were on this hamster wheel, but they didn't have any passion for it. And they really wanted to do something different. And then they found him. So I think there are obviously female entrepreneurs, but I've had plenty of men who have said to me, like, this is amazing. Guy Kawasaki, who had a pre-read for my book. I asked him that when I was on his podcast. I said, do you think that this book is just for female entrepreneurs? And he said, I don't even know why you would ask me that question. Like, that's just the stra- Like, I'm not a female. So why would you? And I loved this book. And anyway, I thought it was very funny. I think a lot of people see an entrepreneur
0: like, oh, look at her running hint water. She would not have any doubt. Like, look at all her success. And I think we often our attention is drawn to people once they've, you know, achieved a certain level of success. And I think people think, you know, she's different than I am. She's you know, has skill sets or is, you know, more resilient or more driven or more ambitious or knows things that I don't know that I could never do that. So just the title of your book, The Doubts and Doubters, I think is really clever because it says, wait, we all have our own doubts. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the doubts that you experienced throughout the years? And probably still have, right?
2: Yeah, I think it really started with really living in a world where everybody kind of decides, for example, like, I had too many children in order to go start a new career. And people, I mean, that was the first doubt. And if you listen to it enough, you're going to believe it, right? And I also feel there were so many along the way. And I think what I learned early on was to just keep going, if I really wanted to accomplish something. And people have always asked me, where did that start? I was a competitive athlete when I was younger, I was a gymnast. And I think for me, I just kept getting back up. And I just kept trying. And I kept knowing that maybe I wasn't going to be the best that day. I also learned that there was always going to be somebody better than me out there and that I was always you know and that I should appreciate and value and surround myself with those kind of people in order to learn but I think that that's something what I think is the most interesting thing that this book has really brought me in so many interviews that I've done this whole concept of authentic leadership has been brought up over and over and over again by so many people and not only people who have read my book, but people who have just listened to me on the podcast saying exactly what you had said, that here you are like leading a company, it's, you know, doing extremely well. It's like, you know, you're taking on the big guys, all of these things, but you're actually sharing that it wasn't always perfect. And what I think is fascinating and frankly somewhat sad is that we don't actually hear that out of more leaders right? That there's this, you cannot, and maybe, I don't know if it's even a gender issue, because I think it's definitely, obviously, there's less female CEOs out there in the world, but it's like they can't actually say that some things are really, really hard, right? Especially while they're in the job. So what's also fascinating about this book is that I'm still the CEO of the company, and there aren't very many CEOs who write books, like typically, especially women, they write after when something really bad happened, right? And to sort of tell their share their side of the story. So that's the other thing that's happening in this book that I'm talking about, I'm constantly learning, and I'm constantly trying to be better. And even managing during the pandemic, there's you know, pieces of this book in there too, where I said to my team flat out, I've never managed in a pandemic. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I went back to my roots and I took on, we're an essential product. So we have regulations around being by the government to be able to make sure that enough water is on the shelf. Otherwise we could actually get a business license removed. And so, I mean, that came at a time when I had members of my team who thought I was crazy because I was telling them, you're not going to shelter in place because you're an essential product and you're going to go out and work. And obviously we made exceptions where people were, we have a few former cancer patients and living with elderly people. And, but for the most part, if they were healthy, we were asking people to go out and do it. And the way that I felt comfortable Asking other people to do that was to lead that. And so I went and took a route when the pandemic hit. And I was in Marin County and I was merchandising product on the shelf at Target. And, you know, and I said, listen, go in before seven o'clock in the morning. There's not as many people in the stores. It's here's your gloves and your mask and everything. But that's the way that I led by actually going in with. And was that correct? It worked out pretty well and the team was pretty happy and they got a lot more confident. And they, I said, listen, if, if it's scary and I really think that we shouldn't be doing this, then I will pull everybody out. But how many leaders don't do that, right? It's shocking. And I'm not trying to hold myself up as, you know, the perfect person, but I just I'm amazed through this process that I was sort of doing things a little bit differently. But again, I think it really speaks more for other leadership versus me. And I think we need to talk about this a lot more because I think I'm not changing what I'm doing, right? Like, I think that that's something that more and more people should really pay attention to. And I think it'll be definitely a topic for 2021 for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Have people or other companies tried to buy you? You're like a small fish in a big pond. Like have you have people tried to acquire you?
2: We've had people over the years try and talk to us about an acquisition or an investment. We've had many people reach out to us and not even soda companies. I mean, we've had soda companies, but we've had sort of other people, other companies that you wouldn't even expect to because we are a very data-driven company and we really are focused on health. We're not just focused on beverages. But I think it's kind of hard for when you think about this. And again, I didn't walk into the beverage industry even thinking about this, but sort of what I've learned. I mean, the majority of beverages today are really tied to sugar. And so we are the opposite, (laughs) right, of that. And so if you're a product that is not sugar, but you're still sweet, then, okay, well, yeah, maybe there's people out there that kind of want to do that. And so we'll still put those products on the truck. My issue over the years has been that I've really felt like it's more of taking a chess piece off the table than actually being in a Home that is actually going to grow the brand, and so we've continued, you know, to grow it in a way that today, I mean, we're big enough that we have a lot of options. So we could take it public, we could take it. I mean, you know, we could do a lot of different things, and I think that that is we're in a great position to be able to do lots of different things. But it's not even something that I. It's funny people are like, do you think about it? Like do you lose sleep? I'm like, no, I actually sleep really well. I just do what I do every single day and I think about people ask like would you sell the company and I said, yeah. I mean, I have investors. A lot of the investors are family and friends and I want them ultimately to make money, but I think that if a large soda company were ever to purchase our company, it would be a major shift and it would be in society overall and it would kind of be waving a flag saying i think we need to pay attention to health which is not what happens right now instead it's like how can we just keep tricking the consumer into believing that something is healthier than they are and does that make sense to you i'm living this every single day and it's it's somewhat you know crazy in many many ways that we live in this world that is uh, kind of filled with that.
1: It's so interesting because I feel like we live and work in such a bubble. I mean, we're squarely in the wellness industry, and I live on a remote island. Yeah, and you know, I don't experience that world that you're describing. Although I remember it, and I come in contact when I visit the mainland, and it's just, it's just shocking to me that in this, you know, in this day and age, that that's still the state of our. Food system. I mean, it's that's a whole other conversation, and I get that that's what you're working to combat. But it's given how much science there is around what's healthy and what isn't, it's shocking to me that we're in a situation where you know (laughs) unhealthy food and drinks are playing such a big role, and that there's still such a demand for that.
2: Well, what's really shocking to me, I bet my former college roommate works at the Center for Disease Control, and I remember when I was starting Hint. She was on, initially when she went to work for the CDC, she was working on poison control. And then she went over to this new segment that was called type 2 diabetes. And there was about 2% of the population 16 years ago that had type 2 diabetes or prediabetes And today in the the US alone, it's 40 to 45% of the population has type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. And so the research is there that actually says that these people who are Getting, you know, type 2 diabetes, obviously, you guys know, but just for the listeners, it's, you know, different than type 1. You're not born with it. They used to say that children didn't get it, and that's totally incorrect now. And so, what's fascinating to me is that most of those people are claiming to eat and drink low fat and diet. And it's almost like it runs on this parallel path to you know, the sugar and the diet sweetener industry, and they just don't talk to each other. They just, they know that they exist. But I think so, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And especially, you know, even in the U.S., this is a whole other topic, but people will, will ask me like, why aren't you in more hospitals? Like, why aren't you on the hospital trays where you're trying to get consumers healthy? And there are a number of hospitals that have deals with Coke and Pepsi. And I've talked to doctors about this and it's just crazy. And what's even worse, I had a doctor reach out to me, an endocrinologist a few years ago, who was telling me about a study. She'd heard me speak on on exactly what I was talking to you about. And she reached out to me and she said, there's... I'm doing this study and I'm looking to fund it on basically the fact of stevia and these diet sweeteners on type 2 diabetes. And I really love to get you involved in it in some way. So she is with a pretty well-known hospital and she went because she is on staff with the hospital, she went back to the hospital, which is what she has to do in order to get her studies funded. It was fascinating to her and to me that she didn't actually have a choice of who would fund her study. She had a list of these people that worked with the hospital, including the soda companies and the sugar industry and pharmaceutical companies that make drugs for type 2 diabetes and type 1 diabetes, and so it gets worse. So once those results, you do the clinical trial, and once those results are complete, whoever funds your study actually is under the FDA rules is allowed to determine whether or not they release the studies. So if you look at clinical trials in the U.S., there's a lot of clinical trials that were done on this topic and on other topics that are inconclusive because the funder of the study didn't want that information out there. And so that's a whole other thing that is like a passion project for me that I didn't walk into the Hint you know, being an entrepreneur and getting into this business 15 years ago, knowing that I'd stumble upon it, but I'm like, get out of here. Like that is so crazy. And then I'll run into other doctors who seem to care about health that are on staff and I'll talk to them about it. And I mean, I'm telling you, I've heard it from UCSF, Cleveland Clinic. I mean, it's just, it is shocking. And it's just, it really, it needs to be blown up. And we should, for every clinical trial, why isn't it that those results aren't public? And especially if they're public companies, these pharmaceutical companies, it's crazy, right? I mean, and so these doctors I've talked to have said, we're just not going to do the study or they'll do it after they leave those hospitals. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's- Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? So- It's
1: despicable. Well, I would just say to all of our listeners, I mean, this is the gift of entrepreneurship, right? Is that you, if you're committed to solving problems and being creative, the more you show up in the world and do your work, the more opportunity you have to solve new problems. And I I think that that's really the, to me, that's the most beautiful part of being an entrepreneur.
2: I totally agree. And you know, people ask how I spend my days. I'm like, "Oh gosh, like it's just, you know, it really just depends." And I think that, you know, also having a great team is it's so critical and so important and being able to, you know, continue to support them even during crazy times as we've all had in 2020, but I think that there's so many things every single day that are really important and I feel this This link, frankly, to the customer and everything that I just shared with you in the last 10 minutes, I feel a responsibility to be able to, you know, this is stuff that a lot of people don't know about. And again, it's not about a political party. It's about health, right? Why are we allowing this to go on?
0: Yeah. That's so, I love the idea of that. You start a business and you just have really no idea, like Jenny was just saying, like where it's going to lead, like what your focus Mm -hmm. is going to be. And you just go down like these new areas that you have no idea about. So no idea. Super interesting. All right. Do you want to wrap it up, Jenny? You want to lead her into joy and
1: hustle? Yes. So Kara, we end every episode asking our guests to share something that's bringing them joy in their life right now and a tool that can help our listeners hustle in their careers or businesses.
2: So joy, I would have to say my two Labradors. So I over the last few years, I've been on a crazy travel schedule. And while I haven't been traveling, I've gotten to spend a lot more time with, with them. And I've always been a huge fan of having animals, but I've uh, really, really appreciated it and how smart the two are and how caring they are about each other. So it's kind of opened my eyes. I've gotten a lot of joy out of it this year, for sure. And hustle, I would say so many people that I meet that are, I get this question, like, how do you find a mentor? And I always share with people that you don't actually have to have a specific person. You can today listen to podcasts, you can read, and that's ultimately, those are all tools, right? To actually make you stronger and help you find your way. So I would say... That in addition to being an author, I've always been a big reader, and I'm constantly reading. And every day, I'm discovering new readers. That's I would say that that's my biggest frustration about reading is that it never ends. <laughs> right? It's something like new. you can never complete it. It's mm-hmm. you go on, you go in a bookstore, you go on Amazon, and you're like, oh no, there's another one I need to read, and it's just it's never ending. So. That's what our listeners
0: are saying about your book right now. It's like, oh, I got to yeah. go and buy another book.
2: But I know, exactly. But it's always once you actually open it up, especially if it's a good book, it definitely, you're happy you did, but it's, it's it. yeah, it's worth it. So your book is out now, right? Yeah, my book is out now and it's on Audible, it's on Amazon and bookstores everywhere, Barnes and Noble, and it's called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, and it is or I should say I'm on social at Kara Golden with an I, and I would love to hear from you. So definitely your podcast. Oh, and my podcast too. My podcast is called the Kara Golden show. And I interview CEOs and founders, typically founders and CEOs, but sometimes I'll interview some cool CEOs along the way that are doing fun stuff. And, Sometimes authors as well that I think are really doing stuff that's important, but really people who are changing the scene and who are authentic too. I think that that's the key thing that more and more people are sharing with me that this podcast is giving them new love for so many brands because they're hearing from the leaders on how life is not always easy. And it can be really challenging, but I think doing what you're passionate about is, the, is really the driver.
0: Thank you, Kara. Such a great conversation. I appreciate you spending the time with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.